Lesson 9, Exercise, Use It or Lose It, Mind, Body, and Soul. Regular exercise can have a major positive impact of easing depression and anxiety symptoms. It can also relieve stress, it can improve your memory, it may help with sleep issues, and it will boost your mood. Now, there is also a couple other great correlations between regular exercise and mental health, and that would be that uh, if you are exercising, you are improving your heart health. So the correlation between heart health and mental health is kind of huge, and it makes sense when you think about that you're working on, you know, um, chronic issues and trauma, stress, you know, um, anger and hostility, and in your therapies, you're learning ways to lessen that, um, lessen your anxiety, depression, and pessimism through, you know, therapy and medication. So it kind of makes sense that a healthy mental state would help your heart. Um, and also, um, it with the, with the healthy heart and healthy mind, it also lessens type 2 diabetes, um, the chances of getting that, which seems to be another side effect of some of the medications is type 2 diabetes. So exercising to keep away from that is not a bad idea. Um, it will you know, help with high blood pressure, high cholesterol, and weight-related issues of which several medications um, used for bipolar disorder uh, will create weight issues for you. So having an exercise routine is not bad. Um, lower your blood pressure, reduce risk of diabetes, increase energy, increase self-esteem, and self-confidence are all benefits of exercise, physical exercise. Now, mental activities and exercises are easy to do, and you probably are already doing some of these. However, there's just a couple more ideas here to um, keep your brain flexible. Number one is puzzles, uh, you know, the good old crossword puzzles, Sudoku, Word Find. Um, I would even take this as far as to say, you know, games on your um, PlayStation, on your Xbox. Um, it keeps your brain sharp in your thinking. So puzzles, games, I'm going to put those together. Cards, um, not only are you, um, you know, keeping your mind fresh with, you know, trying to keep the points and stuff like that, but you're also having conversation while you're playing cards, and that will keep you, um, you know, your mind sharp as well. Build your vocabulary. Uh, you can do this by reading, or there are apps that you ha can find that will give you a word of a day. You can play word with friends, Scrabble. Um, build your vocabulary and then use those words that you learn and it's amazing people's reactions do it uh, dance use your senses all five of them and then at some point during the day try to use all five at the same time learn a new skill or teach a new skill to somebody listen to music uh, meditate once you can learn to calm your mind enough to meditate um, that is a great way to keep your mind sharp and rested and one of my favorites is Tai Chi. Um, however, it doesn't have to just be Tai Chi. It could be any form of, you know, movement. Uh, tai Chi, Karate, dance. Um, all the same, though, like keeping your mind and your body, you know, in sync together in a peaceful way. And now ways to exercise your soul. Now, of course, there's always church. Um, you know, and I'm not going to I'm not going to say anything against religion and helping to build your soul and helping keep you as a well-rounded individual, healthy, well-rounded individual. Uh, however, here are some other ways to exercise your soul to feel gratitude, meditation, to be generous. Hanging out in nature is a huge way to feed your soul and to keep it active uh, with the awe that nature brings to it. 
Um, pay attention to the present moment. Again, mindfulness, you know, being aware of who you are in a present moment. Sing, uh, write, and here's a huge one. How about forgive and free yourself? Uh, give your soul that break that it needs to forgive yourself for whatever it is that you feel that you need to forgive yourself for, whether it be legitimate or not in anybody else's eyes, it does not matter. Free yourself and forgive yourself. So here are some strategies to exercise mind, body, and soul. Um, use them. Um, you know, these lists can be added to and, you know, swapped in and out. However, these are just very basic guidelines as to what to do to maintain and stay healthy. So this is lesson nine, exercise, use it or lose it, mind, body, and soul. Lesson 10, help. Let's make a plan or two. A crisis plan seems obvious. However, not everybody has a crisis plan. And as I'm writing this and reading this to you and doing this, I don't have a crisis plan legitimately in place. I have a very flimsy idea of what will happen if I have to go back inpatient again. And it will probably work because it has in the past. But do I have a hardcore crisis plan? I do not. So let's make a crisis plan. All right. So the first thing about your crisis plan is that it should make it clear when somebody should seek emergency help for you on your behalf, when you are incapable or unable to do it, um, or, uh, incapable or unable to find your plan, which has all the information in it that you need. So you need to have somebody tied into this crisis plan with you, a neighbor, a good friend, an accountability partner, perhaps your doctor, um, but you know, maybe somebody from the church, but have, you need to have somebody else tied into this. Now within your crisis plan should be all the contact info for your doctors, your therapists, your trusted friends, loved ones, um, not necessarily family, but family, um, you know, and all that. So somebody can easily get a hold of people that you may need to have around you during the time of a crisis. Um, your insurance and hospital info should be included in here. These can be copies in a folder, but either way, um, insurance and hospital info is imperative that you have in this list. Um, you should have a list of all the triggers that you have so that uh, personnel, you know, hospital personnel, emergency personnel, officers, people within the Behavioral Health Institute know what triggers you so they do not. Uh, warning signs that you are about to blow up, um, you know, flashing in the eyes, um, you might clench your fist, you might, you know, bite your tongue, you might um, shake your head, you might twirl your hair, you could have any number of tells, but these are warning signs that uh, emergency personnel, again, can pick up on before something goes totally awry. Um, what is needed to keep you safe? You know, um, if you're tricky, you know, and they need to keep you in a locked room, something like that, um, or certain people that might agitate you, things like this are, are necessary to know. Um, what to do or say to help keep you calm. Yeah, not what to say and do to trigger you further, but what to say or do, or which could be absolutely nothing. It could be complete silence. And then any other information needed for emergency workers. Within your plan, you should also have preparations made for um, who's going to keep an eye on your house, on your stuff. 
on your car, on your, you know, garage, on your whatever. You should already have this in place. You should have somebody, um, family, a neighbor. It could be a paid person who comes into your home and house sits for you. This should be in place, and they should know that this could happen at a moment's notice, that although you are maintaining well, there are times that things come up, and they could immediately need to come to your home and take care of things for you. Uh, your kids, are they going with grandma, grandpa? Do you have a spouse or a significant other that um, the kids are you and the kids lived with? Um, if not, your neighbor, your your mom, your dad, your best friend. Um, again, this could be a paid situation where the kids go into a um, a paid daycare nanny ish situation. Um, have this in place well ahead of time so that when it comes down, people know where the kids are supposed to go. Also have arrangements made for them for their schedules. Now with COVID, it's not as terrible as it could have been a couple years ago. But still, have people to pick the kids up. Have, you know, whatever their scheduled appointments are, whatever they do, do not disrupt their patterns because you um, are having an emergency. Okay, uh, you should also have a plan for your pets. Again, is it somebody who's coming into your home? Uh, are the kid are the kids are your pets going out to um, a kennel? Do you have a paid caretaker, a friend? Um, and again, your animal should be um, familiar with this person so that there is no more trauma or stress placed on your animal. Now there are probably other preparations if you have a job. Um, who is going to take your place in the interim where you are unable unable to fulfill your duties at your job? All right, so um, that's your plan very basically. Now, you know, in other plans, uh, you may want to have a um, legal papers ready in that power of attorneys, um, you know, things like that. If you have trusts or stuff like that. Um, but, I mean, we're talking like if very severe, you know, a power of attorney and all this, um, like a will, it's always good to just have these prepared anyway and to have them all in a general area, just in case for any emergency that you might have to just grab and go and have this stuff ready for you. It's just best to have it prepared and ready and set in a place where people know about it. So when stuff comes down, they know. And again, um, immediate help in a crisis situation, are the some of the following incidents which could happen um you've deliberately tried to hurt yourself you're talking about suicide you have a plan for suicide um you're talking about harming someone else you're having hallucinations or delusions you're confused you're not making sense you're making unrealistic plans and you are disconnected these are all times for your crisis plan to come into play so this is Lesson 10, help, make a plan or two. Lesson 11, so you're going inpatient, the good, the bad, and the ugly. All right, so hospitalization is definitely an option for anyone with bipolar disorder. Um, it is very unlikely that you will go through your lifetime of having a bipolar diagnosis and not be hospitalized or put into a crisis unit at least once during your uh, career with bipolar disorder. So you will either be voluntarily or involuntarily admitted to a hospital. 
Now, voluntary admission is always the better choice if you are within your right mind to make this decision for yourself. And a voluntary admission is when you and your doctor or your healthcare giver or um, somebody in the emergency room, whoever it may be, when you both agree that you going inpatient to receive further services is a good idea and that you could benefit from it. Um, this could be for a med adjustment. Um, there could be safety issues. It, this could happen for numerous reasons. And if you are given the choice to take a voluntary admission, take it. So in order for a voluntary admission to um, hold, um, you must have a mental disorder that is easily to easily treated or, you know, to be cared for, you know, while you're in a hospital situation. Um, this is not for somebody like with, oh, I, I don't, like a traumatic brain injury where it is a chronic and reoccurring condition that, um, you know, a short period of time in the hospital is going to, you know, jumpstart or, you know, fix. Um, you must understand the nature of your request for admission and know that you are asking to be put inpatient to take care of a specific problem. And um, you must be able to ask for release. Now, the benefits of a voluntary admission as opposed to an involuntary admission are huge. And a lot of them have to do with your own feeling about yourself. So the benefits of a voluntary admission are that it involves much less stigma to the patient. It's less coercive. It allows the patient to acknowledge a desire for help and treatment, which is kind of huge. Once you finally break down and realize that you need help, it's very empowering for you to be the one to say, I need to go in. I need help. It respects the individual autonomy. Uh, it allows the patient to legally request release it increases the patient involvement in their own treatment plan, and it increases the personality and responsibility in your own life of taking um, and advocating for yourself and saying that you need help and volunteering for it instead of being told that you are involuntarily being admitted, which is a court-ordered admission. And this can happen um, in several different ways. However, if you are just not in reality and cannot grasp the fact that you um, are a danger to yourself or others, then an involuntary admission by family or the court will very likely occur. Reasons for a involuntary commitment uh, could be you are considering suicide, you are considering harming others, you are it, you are you have a behavior that can result in seriously bodily injury or death to yourself or to someone else. You are showing symptoms of psychosis. You are hallucinating. You are threatening. You are ex in the midst of extreme risk taking. You are depressed. You are needing treatment, requiring supervision. Um, problematic symptoms, which could be um, you know um, mixed states or that rapid cycling that we talked about earlier. And all of those are reasons for an involuntary admission where you are not within your right mind to actually make the decision yourself that it is you should you should go to the hospital. So what should you bring? Well, every facility is different, and uh, if you 
is if this is a planned admission and you know you're going in, call ahead of time and find out exactly what it is that you can and cannot bring. In almost all cases, valuables should stay home. Um, you could bring a small overnight bag, you know, with some toiletries in it and, you know, something to sleep in. And some of places will allow you to wear your own clothing. But again, call ahead and find out. You do not want to bring a bunch of stuff and just have it locked up and not have access to it and know that it's there. Um, a lot of places will have you wear their own clothing and use their own toiletries um, while you are inpatient. So don't be disappointed if that happens. Um, also, your phone. Bring your phone with you. You may need contact numbers on it, but don't be disappointed if you are not allowed to use it. Um, again, case by case, hospital by hospital, you know, treatment by treatment. So uh, be well advised of the place that you are going to and what it is that they will and will not allow you to have. It is better to go without and have somebody bring it than to go with everything and not have access to anything. And now while you're in the hospital, there will be a definite routine. They will be trying to uh, fix your wake sleep cycle and they will have you on strict um, wake sleep, uh, eating and medication schedules. It is a very strict routine and it's good. It will get you back on on uh, your schedule. Um, Generally, no smoking, a patch, or lozenges are available. Now, again, in some private facilities, you may be able to smoke outside. Um, call ahead of time and find out what your options are if you are a smoker. While you are on ward, you will be observed. It may not be um, like blatant, but you will be being observed all the time. They will be continually charting what you are doing and your interaction um, within the ward and with the other patients. If you have any interpersonal issues with another member, um, a, a peer on the ward or a member of staff, go to somebody that you trust and immediately have this taken care of. This can destroy any other healing that's going on if you're having a problem with somebody while you are in there. Uh, you and your room will be searched for contraband. Again, a good reason to find out what it is that you can bring in before you go in so you don't have contraband. Um, but get used to it. Room searches are daily. Um, you will be searched upon admission to make sure that you don't have any, um, you know, drugs or anything dangerous on you. And room searches happen pretty much daily to make sure that there isn't any contraband or food that's being hidden. Almost all places will allow visitors. Um, again, know your facility and what their visiting schedule is. Please inform your visitors to not bring contraband or to do anything that could limit the visit, um, you know, be mindful of swearing and other people around you during visits and, um, just be, you know, be mindful of your surroundings. So while you're in hospital, use it to the best of your advantage. Um, take this time to get well, take this time to work through issues, take this time to figure out what it is that your next step will be when you get out of the hospital. And before you leave, um, make sure that all your appointments are made um, for your physical doctor, your psychological doctor, any labs. Make sure that all these appointments are made and confirmed before you leave. Make sure your prescriptions are set so that you are not left lagging um, in between the time that you are in and out of the hospital. And be sure to check your inventory list of what you came in with and came out of to make sure that you don't leave anything because you really don't want to go back if, if you don't have to to pick up something that you left.
Okay, so this concludes lesson 11. So you're going impatient. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Lesson 12, celebrations and shock news. So every year, certain events occur almost like clockwork. Holidays, birthdays, anniversaries. Some may bring great joy. Some may bring great pain. You know they're coming. However, they still may bring a great disruption to your life and well-being. Here are a few tips to keep you centered during traditional holiday celebrations. Maintain your routines, your sleep schedules, your medicine schedules, your food schedules. Keep on your routines, especially if you are doing well. This is not the time to jump off your routine in the middle of the holiday season when things are already all askew and, um, you know, start messing up. Stay on your medications. This is not a good time to stop taking your meds. Try not to overdo things. Uh, if you generally cook the whole meal, ask for help. If you're tired, go take a nap. Um, if, if you're overwhelmed, leave the situation. Try not to overdo it. And then on the other side of that, avoid too much isolation. Um, a little me time I'm okay with, but do not isolate yourself throughout the whole celebration. Be honest about your needs. If you're feeling overwhelmed, tell somebody you trust and let them know that you need to go and step, take a step back. Be honest. Uh, limit alcohol and um, uh, illicit drug usages. Um, alcohol is a depressant. It ultimately may make you feel good, but in the long run, it's just going to bring you down. Count on anxiety and plan ahead for it. Have a contingency plan for when you start to get overwhelmed, have a panic attack, or freaking out. And, um... And honestly, if things are just too much for you, you always can bow out. You do not owe anybody an explanation. And if you're honest with people straight up to this point, they will realize that the holiday or the birthday or whatever this celebration is, is just overwhelming to you. And through consistently being honest with people about your symptoms and stuff, it'll become easier and easier for people to understand why you need to take a break from some of these situations and you can also start your own traditions um things don't have to happen on the day that everybody else celebrates it you can do things your own way you do not have to be within big crowds of people you can just find your own way to celebrate all right and then we have surprise the shock of good news or bad news um Someone's having a baby, someone's getting married, someone had a huge windfill, windfall, and um, what do you do? You know, how do you handle this? Someone's passed away, you've just found out that somebody who's been in a tragic accident, or you find out that somebody that you care about deeply has a life-threatening illness. What do you do? First of all, identify what your default reaction is in the moment of shock. Is it fight, flight, or freeze? Again, this comes back to mindfulness, and this is just to help you to maintain a sense of yourself and not to lose yourself in the moment. Take a deep breath and three physical steps back or to the side. This will actually sink your mind and your body. Take time to think about a constructive, positive reaction to the news you just heard. This could be to ask a clarifying question, 
You can ask to take a break. You can go ask to get a cup of water or you can just stay silent. Sometimes silence is the best. Uh, auto Identify the automatic thought. Um, okay, so most automatic thoughts are like ingrained in you from childhood and they um, come from a fear of a, or a worry about a negative consequence that can happen, a life-threatening negative consequence. Now, ultimately... As an adult, these type of things are not going to happen to you, but because they are ingrained in your brain from childhood, that is your first thought. Recognize that thought and recognize the possible fact that it's irrational. Okay, identify the thought, expand the thought, and then practice if you need to in receiving good or bad, either way, shock news. Um, so you can prepare yourself ahead of time. So shock news, you know, may throw you straight into a mania or depression depending on the news. And again, have your plans, which we just discussed, in place just in case uh, the news of a loved one's death or an accident or even a good good news of somebody's having a baby can still send your very well-ordered routine out of well order. So accept your emotions. Repeat exposure to the news if you're able to to um, make it become more and more real to you. Reframe your thoughts and be kind to yourself. Whether the news be good or bad, the way that you react to it is your own. And just because it's good news to somebody else doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be good news to you. So no matter what, be kind to yourself during these known celebrations and unknown shock news situations. And this is Lesson 12. Celebrations and Shock News. Lesson 13, Suicide. Be brave, stay alive. Alright, so you're going along okay, and then all of a sudden, out of the blue, you're hit with a trigger that leaves you reeling and questioning the value of your own life. This is real, and this happens. Suicide is real among people with bipolar disorder, and 10 to 15% with a bipolar diagnosis successfully commit suicide. Okay, so this is not to scare you, and this is not to in any way trigger you. This is just to give you the facts and let you know that suicide is a real issue within the bipolar community. Um, so let's um, let's talk about it and let's 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 be aware. Okay, so. Um, Suicidal ideations refer to the process of thinking about or planning a suicide. Uh, thoughts can range from creating a detailed plan or just having a fleeting thought. Um, I don't know anybody that has not had a suicidal ideation, okay? I, I think everybody has that moment in their life after a test, after this, after that, where they that thought just comes and goes that they would be better off not alive. Um, if you are continually thinking about suicide and continually planning suicide, please enact your crisis plan. Okay, so um, triggers triggers um, for suicide are varied and all very real. Um, financial issues, and now in this time of COVID and the lack of work and unemployment and all that, um, the COVID suicides are jumping because of finances. Um, the death of a loved one or the end of a relationship, grief 
can be over any loss of your life or your um, lifestyle. It doesn't necessarily have to be the physical death of something that you loved. Sexual abuse, remorse, rejection, and unemployment are all triggers for you to start to think about suicide. And now due to these triggers, you may be feeling trapped or hopeless. You may be experiencing intolerable emotional pain. Um, and I would say that would really go with grief or the sexual abuse. Well, actually any of them. But um, the intolerable emotional pain came for me through the grief, um, through the death of my friend. Uh, preoccupation with violence, death, and dying. Experiencing mood shifts. Talking about revenge, guilt, or shame. Now, this is kind of an interesting one because if you are friends with somebody, this is something that you normally talk about anyway. However, if you are being mindful of yourself and you are bringing this stuff up around people that you would not normally talk to about this, you may want to step back and consider what is going on in your mind. Um, you're agitated or having a higher state of anxiety, changes in personality, routine, or sleep. Increased use of drugs or alcohol to, um, you know, to um, lessen the pain that you're feeling. Engaging in risky behavior, such as careless driving or, you know, more drug taking. Now, these are three that are huge. And if you are doing this, enact your plan. You're getting your affairs in order. You're giving things away. And you have gotten or are planning on getting a gun or substances that could end a life. If you're talking about yourself as if you are a burden or if you are saying goodbye to people like it's the last time you're seeing them because in your mind it is, it is time to ask for help. Get help. Enact your plan. If you do not have a plan, you can call the suicide hotline here in the United States. It is 800-273-8255. You can also text 741741. That is a crisis text line. They will give you resources. And what they will do in the first thing is give you a moment to stop thinking about suicide. Okay. Most suicides, if you can catch somebody within the first five to seven minutes of them starting to think about enacting a plan, you can thwart their plan of killing themselves. You can change the direction of their mind. So if you are mindful enough to realize that you are doing this stuff, or if you are living with somebody and are worried about somebody and you are starting to see some of these actions being taken, but especially the getting the affairs in order, talking about being a burden, giving things away... These are huge, huge signs that somebody is not planning on sticking around, okay? And again, if you are experiencing this, enact your plan. If you do not have a plan, call the suicide hotline at 800-273-8255. If you are in immediate danger of dying by an overdose, um, a bodily injury, or anything like that, call 911. They are trained for this, and they will help you. So. This is lesson 13, suicide. Be brave, stay alive. Lesson 14, advocate for yourself. Okay, so now you've learned a whole lot of tips and tricks and some things to do to enable you to stay well and maintain your wellness in your bipolar. 
You've learned how to ask for help, and you've learned that there is no shame in asking for help, especially if it is life-threatening. So, what else does it mean to advocate for yourself? Well, of course, self-care is, you know, huge. Mind, body, soul. Take care of all three of those elements. Feed them properly. Exercise them properly. Use them and make them vital. Um, keep yourself vital within your self-care. Self-care can also be taking a time a time out for yourself, taking a day off for yourself, um, pampering yourself if it's not going to throw you into a financial whirlwind, and just simple things. Buy the dollar ice cream cone if you want it. Treat yourself. That dollar is not going to make or break you. Now, if you're talking about going and, you know, buying yourself a trip to Belize, that, on the other hand, could be grand grandiosity, and you might want to look into that, okay? But self-care... Uh, learn how to cope with bad times. Have your coping skills in place. Going to therapy will ensure that your tool bag is always full of stuff to do. And if you have suicidal thoughts, tell someone, get help. Have your plan in place. Have steps in place for surviving depression and suicidal thoughts. Know what you're going to do when these thoughts cross your mind. This is part of mindfulness. This is also part of self-care. Knowing yourself inside and out and what you need to do to maintain yourself. Understand your own warning signs and, you know, be ahead of the game. If you feel stuff coming up, take preemptive action so that it doesn't hit that stage where you need to go inpatient or other people, you know, need to be brought in to help you with your care. Be mindful of yourself. You can self-treat and you can take care of yourself without having to involve other people and you can maintain. Get the most out of your treatment. Go to therapy and, you know, participate. If you're not digging your therapy, let your therapist know. Let the behavioral health place that you're going to know. Let, you know, your uh, your um, your team know that there is something that is not working well for you and your own ability to take care of yourself and get well. They can change stuff out. If you don't like your therapist, it's okay. You don't have to like your therapist. And if it is a real problem with you staying and maintaining your wellness... Get a new one. They're out there, you know, with insurances and stuff. It may be a little bit more tricky for some people than others, but it's all about you and you staying well. And if you are having a problem with a therapist and you cannot trust them and cannot talk to them, there is a vital element to your wellness that is being taken out of the game. So speak up and let people know that things are not working well for you. Look after your body. Um, that includes exercise and nutrition, but also if you start to notice, you know, um, weird side effects of medication or things that you haven't noticed before, if you're not feeling well, if you're just a little dragged out, if you're feeling a little bit too amped, if you are getting headaches, if things like this are going on, make doctor's appointments, go and see them. You could be a medication um, side effect, it could be that you just have the cold, a cold. It could be something else. Stay on top of it. Anything, any symptom that you have today and you let go for six weeks is going to become a much harder situation to treat than it is in the very get-go. If you're not feeling well, take care of it. Um, be mindful of your body. If you're bruising, if you're overdoing it, if you're cramping, make sure that you're drinking enough water, stay hydrated, 
you know, and um, just be very mindful of your body. It is your body. It is your temple. If anybody should know what affects it and how it should be affected, it's you. Um, if possible, involve your family or close friends, um, you know, in your treatment. It makes it easier all around to have a team around you and it puts, um, it takes some of the stress off you to maintain things when other people want to help you and be um, a responsible part of your recovery. Make a plan as we talked about. There are support groups, um, both, you know, sanctioned and unsanctioned. There's Facebook groups. There's uh, Twitter, there's uh, Quorum, there's Quora. There's all kinds of places where you can meet with like-minded individuals and you guys can discuss bipolar and not in necessarily medical terms, but as people and how much you hate some of the stuff and stuff that you found that have helped you. But you will find that there is a community of like-minded people out there who are more than willing to embrace you and accept you in the fold of somebody with bipolar. Participate in counseling. And there are also internet and phone apps that you can purchase and install on your phone that will send you daily reminders about medication or um, just some feel-good quotes, you know, uh, affirmations and stuff like that. So those are all available to aid you um, in your your journey to staying well and maintaining wellness. And also, don't forget, um, the stigma around mental health is real. And it is really archaic, and it is really time for it to go. The only way that stigma can start to be broken is by we, as a mental health community, being honest about what it is that we need and how we feel and what it is to really have a mental health diagnosis. Part of advocating for yourself is to start to break the stigma surrounding you and your diagnosis. And the only way that we can really do this as a community is for us to all be honest. So be honest about your needs. Be honest about your likes and dislikes. And just be honest about your health in general. This will help to bridge the gap of the stigma of what it is to have a mental health diagnosis. Now it was lesson 14. Advocate for yourself. Lesson 15, remember that you're a superhero. All right, so I would just like to say thank you all for taking the course, Thriving with Bipolar on Listenable. Um, I am sure that I can add, and um, there will probably be some stuff added to this course as time goes on and things come up that I realize are vital to the course. But for now, these are the basics about what it is to have bipolar in a medical term. Now, as a personal level, what does it mean to have bipolar? Well, for me, to have bipolar means that I am extra creative and imaginative and I see things that other people can't see and I look at things in a different way and everything is kind of a puzzle to me and I want to find the most interesting and imaginative way to solve my life and life's problems. Some people... Not so much into that. Uh, you know, they think that I am, um, I'm, I'm, I'm not organized. They think that I have no clue what's going on in my life. They think that I just kind of do stuff willy-nilly. And I do 
sometimes do stuff willy-nilly. I am sometimes very spontaneous, and then I am also sometimes very perfectionist and don't do anything and get locked because if I can't do it perfect, then I don't want to do it at all. That, my friends, is called bipolar, right? You want to do everything, and then you can't do anything. You're up, up, up. You're down, down, down. It's a roller coaster, and, you know, it's a very cliche saying, but it really does effectively describe what it's like to be on bipolar. One minute you're up to the top, and the next minute you have just crashed into an abyss. My course that we have just gone through, I hope will help you to understand the need for treatment and the need to stay on a schedule and the need to be honest with your needs. But it doesn't mean that bipolar is all medical mumbo jumbo and there's no fun in it. Go create something, write a play, make a dance, you know, sing a song, do a podcast, be you, go jump in puddles, laugh, have fun, and don't be ashamed of who you are. Being bipolar gives you a superpower that many people don't have and ultimately wish that they have. You are who you make yourself to be. So why don't you make yourself to be the most vital person in your circle? Make yourself powerful. Make yourself heard. Make yourself part of the mental health community that is breaking the stigma of what it means to have a mental health diagnosis. Show people that you are everything that they said that you cannot be. Empower yourself. And while you're empowering yourself, educate other people. But just remember, we just have to keep our capes tucked into the back of our t-shirts. Those of us with bipolar, we are superheroes. And go out and spread the good. Lesson 15. Remember, you're a superhero.